read this morning from 1 Timothy chapter 6 in the New Testament. The words will appear on the screen, but if you have your own Bibles, you could follow along as well. These are Paul's word to, words to, his, um, to the young pastor Timothy, so his words of advice that he's passing on to him. Verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Amen, good morning. Can I add my welcome to Kirsty's? It's great to have you with us. My name is Tim Chilvers, one of the leaders here at Riverside, and it's a particular joy if you're here for the first time. We hope that you feel at home uh, amongst us. Uh, today, uh, as you can see on the screen, we start a new series throughout February all about money. Money, money, money. Uh, so let's pray. Let's pray asking that God would help us to not look at money, <laughs> but to see him. We've already heard, haven't we, about the desire to seek his face. So let's pray. Father, we want to seek your face. We want to cut through the fog of life and see you. Lord, with the complexity of life and the things that we're responsible for, the things that burden us, Lord, we want to cut through that and see you. Lord, with our hopes for this city, with our hopes for our families, with our hopes for our jobs, with our hopes for our lives, Lord, we want to see you. We want to see your kingdom come, Lord God. And so, Holy Spirit, as we think about these words now teach us we pray thank you that you're the God who speaks today we are listening father help us to be honest with ourselves and we ask this in Jesus name amen So as we've mentioned, we begin a new series called The Beauty of Money. And some introductory questions for us as we begin this series that will run all throughout February. Question number one, these are rhetorical, so you don't have to call out your answers. Question number one, you hear that some friends of yours go to a restaurant up in town. You've never been to this restaurant, but it looks pricey. Which of the following is likely to be your closest reaction? Is it A, you think about how lovely it is that they've got the chance to celebrate? Is it B, you think that that's not a very good use of money? Is it C, you think to yourself, I could never afford to do that, so neither should they? Question number two, you get a new coat. A friend compliments you on your coat. Is your initial reaction more likely to be A, to simply say thank you and comment that you're really pleased with it? Is it B, to immediately start talking about how much of a bargain it was, even though they didn't ask you anything about how much it cost? 
Is it C, feel a mixture of being flattered but also slightly embarrassed that someone spotted that you've been spending money on clothes? Is it question three, should I say? You see a for sale sign outside your neighbor's house. Do you A, feel a mixture of joy and sadness, joy for them as they move, sadness that you'll lose your neighbors and you wonder who your new neighbors might be? Is it B, immediately click on to right move to find out how much this house is going for to give you an idea of how much your house might be worth? Or is it C, immediately click on to right move, not to look at the price, but so that you can look at the photos and then spend hours wishing that your house was nicer inside. <laughs> Silly questions, but I wonder if your answers reveal something about your attitude to money. Because today we look at money and throughout February we're going to be doing the same. All about the, the fact that there is a beauty to money that can both transform and be used by us in amazing ways and also that can destroy us. That there is a beauty to handling money well that can be immensely freeing and yet there's also a seductive beauty that can enslave us. And as we begin, I wonder, another rhetorical question, would you say that you are good with money? Because I would guess if we asked for a show of hands who is good with money, we wouldn't see that many hands. Many of us struggle with this. And whether we are Christians or not, it's an issue that bamboozles many of us and concerns us quite a lot, which is why we've produced these cards. Do use them, do invite friends, friends who are Christians or not, because this issue of money, many of us want to use money well. All about how we handle money with our hands and with our hearts. Because the Bible has a lot to say about the subject. And whether or not you're somebody who values the Bible, whether or not you've got friends who value the Bible, it has some immense wisdom. It's thought that about a quarter of Jesus' teaching is about money, more than hell or relationships or sex or other things that kind of concern our lives. Money's a big deal in the Bible. Why? Because the way we handle money is about our hearts. The Bible writers know that the reason we struggle with it, the reason why it's so frequently mentioned in the Bible is because it's not to do with money per se, it's to do with a problem in our hearts. You see, just before the reading that we've looked at, Paul says these words, listen to them. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Just to want to get rich does that. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith, pierced themselves with many grief. Do you see that? It's not money that's the issue. It's the heart towards it, to love money, to want to get rich, to be eager for it. Those questions we posed at the beginning, they're just a bit of fun, but maybe, just maybe, they reveal things about our hearts. 
Maybe we would say we are good with money, but if we're honest, the reason we're so good with money is because our heart is just a little bit too fond of money. Well, churches can steer away from the subject or can be too focused on it. But because it's such a big part of our lives, because the Bible is so clear on it, let's jump in. And we're going to see one big question today, and it's this, how to get really rich. And there's three perspectives in this passage that will help us get really, really rich. You ready for it? Here we go. Firstly, it begins with an obvious how not to get really rich. So some warnings before this, and I'll begin this with a joke. Have you heard the joke about the old man who was on his deathbed and wanted to be buried with his money? He called his priest, his doctor, and his lawyer to his bedside. He said these words, here's 30,000 pound cash to be held by each of you, and I trust you to put this in my coffin when I die so I can take all my money with me. At the funeral, each man goes up to the coffin and puts an envelope in it. Riding away in the car, the priest suddenly breaks into tears and confesses to the other two, I only put 20,000 pounds in the envelope because I needed 10,000 pounds to repair the church roof. Well, since we're confiding in each other, the doctor says, I only put 10,000 pounds in the envelope because we need a new x-ray machine in the hospital, which costs 20,000 pounds. The lawyer was aghast. I'm ashamed of both of you, he said. I wanted to know that when I put my envelope in that coffin, I enclosed a check for the full amount. (laughs) Apologies to any people in the legal profession in the room. (laughs) We live in a world in which money is a god, isn't it? A few years ago, a survey was done of a variety of people on a variety of uh, uh, incomes, variety of backgrounds, variety of jobs, and so on, asking about how much do you think you need? Do you know what the answer from the vast majority was? All of them, regardless of their wealth or bank balance, said they needed about 10% more than they have now to be okay. Money, it's, as the saying goes, makes the world go round. I love this quote from Arnie. Arnold Schwarzenegger said, money doesn't make you happy. I've got $50 million, but I was just as happy when I had $48 million. (laughs) Well, this passage today has some profound, profound lessons for us about our attitude to money. Paul's writing to his protege, Timothy, about how he can help leaders lead well and what it is, what an authentic Christian community looks like, what is authentic Christian belief and what is authentic Christian living. And as he gets towards the end of this first letter to him, there's some comments about the dangerous beauty of money. And they're striking words, aren't they? Look at it. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Command those who are rich in this present world. I don't know if you'd say you're rich, but did you know that if you earn the average UK salary or more, the average UK salary, it puts you in the top 1% of richest people on the planet. The average UK salary. So like it or not, it's a fair guess that many of us are rich in this present world. And so therefore, 
how we handle it is key. And there's a contrast in these verses between two types of people. One, those who put their hope in wealth and those who put their hope in God. So a simple question for you, for me, where is our hope? Is it in wealth or, or is it in God? Because it's not always easy to diagnose it, is it? I would guess that in the room right now, there's a mixture of people in terms of the way we handle money. Some of us can seem to be pretty good with money. We're well organized, we're well budgeted, but the motivation behind that, the heart stuff, is not always so easy to spot. Some people are so well organized because their hope is in money. They need to know that they're all right. And if they're honest, they spend a little bit too much time thinking about it. It controls their heart. Others are just as well organized, but it's precisely because their hope is in God and want to use money well for God and his purposes. Conversely, others of us in the room, we know we're not well organized. Budgeting's a bit of a challenge and we're not really aware of kind of how it all works and all of this. To be honest, we might even feel embarrassed about it or, or just guilty or whatever. But again, the motivation behind it is not so easy to spot. Some of us just simply aren't that interested in money. Our hope is in God and so therefore we just trust him. Others of us are interested in money but we've never had to go without or we've never struggled with it uh, and so therefore because our trust is that in that money for us to survive therefore we don't need to worry it's not so easy to spot motivation so where is your hope because Paul says don't put your hope in wealth why because it's so uncertain to see that money will let you down and therefore don't be arrogant about it, he says. I don't know if you remember the clothes company, No Fear, the extreme sports company. They did a campaign a few years ago that said this, he who dies with the most toys still dies. <laughs> or as G.K. Chesterton said, to be clever enough to get all the money, one must be stupid enough to want it. <laughs> Paul knows, and the Bible knows, that money is uncertain. It's a useful servant, but a disastrous master. I don't know if you've heard the story of a, the Austrian businessman, Karl Rabada. Very successful businessman who realized his three million pound fortune was destroying him. So he decided to sell everything and give all the proceeds to set up a charity and move to South, South America and so on. He said these words, I had the feeling I was working as a slave for things that I did not wish for or need. I have the feeling that there are a lot of people doing the same thing. Uh, so can I ask you, where's your hope, where's my hope? Because a surefire way not to get rich is to put our hope in wealth. It will leave us wanting so if that's the case secondly how do we get really rich then if it isn't to hope in wealth well what does Paul say and there's two things two ways to get really rich in this passage and the first might surprise you 
Look again at the end of verse 17. Put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. A way to be really rich, says Paul, is to enjoy money as a gift from God. There, I said it. Some of us, if we're honest, have grown up in a culture in which we feel sort of dirty about money, as though it's a sort of necessary evil. And that sort of approach can seem very good, very moral on the surface, but I'm not convinced you find it in the Bible. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Those verses earlier all about the love of money and to want to get rich and to be eager for it is not the money, it's the heart. And he makes it very clear here. God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Enjoy God's good gifts. Can I ask you, do you believe that? Because there is a danger of sort of a potentially unhealthy, what you could call asceticism. Scorning anything good out of apparent devotion to God, but often revealing a heart issue either about God or about money. Let me illustrate. Imagine on Christmas Day, you give me a present and I take it and then say no thanks and give it back. How do you feel about me then? That's a dreadful way to treat the giver. Now sure, it's good to be willing to share and we'll come on to that in a minute. But not accepting God's gift or scorning it can show an unhealthy view of God. Because we forget that the Bible paints him very clearly as a lavish, generous, gracious, providing God who longs to bless his children, who longs to give good gifts to his children, a generous giver. And if we scorn the gifts, it puts us above God. Just think of the powerful story of Jesus and that woman pouring out that expensive perfume on his feet. All the disciples do what? Say, what a waste. And Jesus knows the heart behind it and rebukes them for it. It's not money, it's the heart and therefore the use that is key. So can I simply ask you, do you enjoy good things? Be free, says Paul. Be free and accept good gifts as a gift from your loving Father. And there's a second way then. So how to be really rich? Embrace the good gifts. And secondly, well look at what he says, verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. 
Do you see those two commands? There's firstly the command those people not to hope in wealth, and now it's command them to do good, to be rich and generous in good deeds and generous and willing to share. Generosity is a key distinctive of Christians. And that's why throughout February, in conjunction with this series, we are providing an opportunity for the annual giving review here at Riverside. It's an opportunity for all of us involved at Riverside to review our involvement, our partnership, our, our giving. And I just want to just step aside for a moment to take, make a few comments about this. Uh, you'll see on your way out, uh, there's, there's a banner and a couple of desks and stuff like that. Every week throughout February, both here and over in Bourneville, there will be members of the finance team after and before the services to just sit there for you to just go through and check a few details. We need everybody to do this because there's a new gift aid form we kind of need to sign for the government and all that. So everybody needs to do it. But it's also an opportunity to review your own where you're at and just kind of process some things. But, but if you're here today for the first time, it's great that you're here. We are thrilled you are here. But this is kind of for those who are part of Riverside, part of the family, as it were. This is, I feel like, a family meeting where we're talking about kind of family business. So you're welcome to pick up any information, but, but that's more if you've kind of been regularly part of it. Or, of course, if you want to call Riverside your home, uh, feel free to head on there as well. But, but if you do call Riverside your church, we would love to uh, provide you the opportunity to be involved in the giving review, to take part in it. There's, gonna be, there's no judging about it. They're friendly people. They're lovely, I've been assured. They'll always be smiling towards you. Uh, and for people who do regularly give sacrificially, we are bowled over by people's generosity. Brilliant. Riverside wouldn't exist without you. All the lives being changed wouldn't happen without you. It's brilliant. And it's simply an opportunity to review your giving. But it might be that there are some people here who you'd call Riverside your church, but you know you're not currently giving anything or not in a kind of regular way. And we'd love you to consider doing something, just taking part. Some of us, if we're honest, are a little bit embarrassed because we're not organized people and we think if we're going to talk to people, they're going to bamboozle us and so I'd just rather just coy away a little bit. If that's you or you just don't want to talk to anybody, there's this leaflet that you can take yourself, fill out details in there, there's a standing order and gift form and all that, there's information as well, feel free to take that. Some of us just feel a bit clammed up about it and so therefore don't want to go there, they'll be very friendly. But can I say, we know that talking about this is a bit awkward. <laughs> Hashtag awkward. But we have a hunch that there are some of us who don't give but would like to, but we feel a bit <gasps> all over the place about it. Maybe, just maybe, you might like to consider starting. And this February, this series is a good opportunity to do so. And why? Why? Because generosity is a hallmark of authentic Christianity. It is and always has been. Riverside is growing as a church and we are amazed at what God is doing. It's brilliant to know that lives are being changed and as we've gone to two sites and look forward to going to more in the future at some point, we long to continue to see God doing good things and it happens through us partnering together. But the reality is to sustain that, we do need a bit more in and so we really need a couple of grand more per month in 
to sustain where we're at and more than that to obviously build for more growth. So please, can I encourage you to consider starting and review where you're at? A number of years ago, a letter was found that showed something very interesting about the earliest Christians. It was a letter from the second century in Rome and nobody knows who wrote it, but it was written to, they think, a guy called Diognetus. Diognetus was the tutor to Marcus Aurelius, you know, the, the Caesar. And, and it's an important letter because it highlights two, if you like, neutral people uh, talking about the way Christians were living about their beliefs and their practices and so on. And in it, we read these words, brilliant words. This is about Christians. They share their table with all, but not their bed with all. They are poor and make many rich. They are short of everything and yet have plenty. And one author commenting on the letter says this, unlike their neighbors, Christians were promiscuous with their money not their bodies. They shared their possessions in a proportion and with a joy that the surrounding culture had never seen. That's a provocative question, isn't it? Are we promiscuous with our money? Well, a surefire way to be really rich, says Paul, is to be generous. So he talks about how not to get rich, talks about how to be really rich, uh, and then there's a final perspective. How to get rich forever. Because we've already seen the problem with money is how uncertain, how futile, how there one minute, there it's gone the next it is. It's like when you look at a banknote, it actually says these words on it. There's a promise to pay the bearer the amount of five pounds or whatever it is. In other words, the money itself, the paper itself is worth nothing. It's a promise, a guarantee of something else. And that's just the problem how much that is worth changes. Do you remember the recession a few years ago? Somebody during that recession did some sums and they'd worked out that if in, so this was in 2008, if in 2006 you'd bought a thousand pounds worth of shares in AIG, the massive insurance group, if you'd bought a thousand pounds in 2006 shares there, in 2008 you'd have 33 pounds. If you'd done the same, bought a thousand pounds of shares in Lehman Brothers, in 2008 you would have zero. If, on the other hand, you'd bought a thousand pounds worth of beer and then drunk on that beer and then turned the aluminium cans to scrap, you'd have 214 pounds. <laughs> we all know, don't we, that money is temporary. But there is a better way, says Paul. When we're generous, when we enjoy the gift as gift, it's all his anyway. When we're generous with it, well then, says Paul, in this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. There is the possibility of treasure that lasts forever. There is a pension plan that doesn't change based on the price of oil. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of the name uh, of the artist David Cho. David Cho is a graffiti artist. And a few years ago, a little known company named Facebook 
asked him to do some graffiti on the side of their new offices. And in exchange for this graffiti, they offered him to pay, offered to pay him several thousand dollars or to take payment in shares. Your choice, they said. The offer was clear, immediate payment now or potential future wealth. A few thousand dollars now or an unknown potential. He took the share option. And now those shares are worth $200 million. A wise choice. Comfort now or lasting provision? According to Paul, according to the Bible writers, using money with generosity, treating it as gift is not ours. Not hoping in it, but hoping in God lays a firm foundation that has lasting effect in the words of Gladiator that ripples into eternity. How we handle our money can have a massive impact Lives being changed now because of your generosity. People in eternity whose lives will be changed because of what we do. Amazing. That's the difference between the Facebook story and the Christian story. This is not an unknown future. This is guaranteed life that is truly life, he says, that will have an echo in eternity. So can I ask you, Can I ask me, through this series, may we be people who first and foremost put our hope in God and we treat his gift as gift and then use it to bless others. Why? Why do we do this? Because it's when we look at God and we see quite how generous he has been that frees us to be people who don't trust in wealth. He is for us. He's given his very son for us. What a gracious, loving, kind, generous God. Should we stand together? Please stand. And as we stand, we're going to have some silence. And in that silence, has there been one thing that you know God has been speaking to you personally about? something that he's been putting his finger on, some encouragement, a freedom, a new sense of liberty or an attitude to money. Is it God's been pointing out in your heart? Father, we are overwhelmed with your generosity. You've given us your son, you've given us your spirit. You've given us the very breath in our lungs. Lord, we want to be people, therefore, who respond by not trusting in temporary things, but who put our hope in you. Lord, show us each what that looks like for our life right now. Give us the discipline, the courage to respond accordingly, that we might be people for whom we see echoes in eternity with the way we've handled our money. that people around us may see the good things that happen as a result of this community and therefore put their hope in you too. 
And we ask this in Jesus' amazing name. Amen.